Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off there in verse 15. Acts chapter 1 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Don't Limit God. Don't Limit God. So we know here in Acts chapter 1 that the disciples are in a place of waiting. In a place of waiting. Jesus has just ascended into heaven and he's given the promise prior to that to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. They're in a place of waiting. In our study last time, we learned some principles in their posture that will help us better wait on the Lord ourselves. But in the midst of waiting, we have this moment in verse 15 where it says, in those days, and again, let's just pause there because I want to help you learn how to read the Bible. Those days, that phrase is very significant because we have to ask ourselves, what days? What days are we talking about? And the way that we answer that is through the context. Like, where, what days are these? These are the days of waiting. This is what it's referring to. The days of waiting. The days after the death. After the resurrection. After the ascension of Jesus. It was in those days of waiting that Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. And said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So Peter begins to take the lead among the disciples. He was one of those natural leaders. He always seemed to express this natural leadership qualities. And throughout the beginning of the chapters of Acts, you'll see Peter leading. You'll see him moving forward taking the gospel to the Jews. He wasn't a perfect leader, but none of us really are. And never once does the Bible ever sugarcoat the people that God uses. Why? So that you can understand that you too can be used of God in all your imperfections and all of your inadequacies and everything you might measure yourself up. No, God can use you. God will qualify the called. He doesn't always call the qualified, but he always qualifies those whom he calls. You remember, you can jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul the Apostle would say that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And then he goes on and he says, he did all of this this way so that nobody can boast. Nobody can take the credit. It's only the credit that God deserves and will receive when he uses someone like you and me. When you step up there and you go, man, that, that, that's, how can God even use that guy? Well, because he's chosen to. Uh, you know, you, you're surprised God's using me? I'm more surprised. I know where I came from. I know what I was into. I know how challenging it was to the people around me as I lived apart from Christ. And I'm sure many of you can relate to this testimony as well. He doesn't want us leaning on our education, even though you may have it. He doesn't want us leaning on our understanding, even though you may be smarter than some of us. He doesn't want us leaning on our experience, even though you might have been walking with the Lord for 40 years. He wants us looking to him. 
He, he, you know, the banner, one of the banner scriptures for us as a church is Zechariah chapter four, verse six, where Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel is told by God, it's not gonna be by might and by power. It's not gonna be all your strength and your ability to do this, Zerubbabel. It's gonna be by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's our desire and what you see lived out throughout the book of Acts. It's always the glory of his grace and the wonderful power of his spirit in using ordinary people, not because of anything of our own selves, not because of what we deserve, but because of God's grace. What a gift to receive. We meet Peter in Matthew's gospel, chapter four. We first meet him as that rugged fisherman that he is. In Matthew four, verse 18, it says, and Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then Matthew uses a word that he doesn't typically use. The rest of verse 20 says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, if you're reading the gospel of Mark, he uses the word immediately all the time. Mark's gospel is action, 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 action. But Matthew wrote his gospel from a different perspective. He wrote it to establish the messiahship, the the kingship of Jesus. And so he's not so interested in all the activities of Jesus, but rather how Jesus fulfills the scriptures. So for him to use immediately is very characteristic of Peter. Peter was a man of action. He liked to jump into things. Maybe that's you. You're just, you're a man or a woman that you just jump into things. And you don't really, you know, you're not the kind of person that goes to a swimming pool and feels the water, put your toe in, then you sit down, put your feet in, and slowly, you just see a pool, you run, jump, you're in. That was Peter. He didn't care what the temperature was. He would often act before he thought. He, he would often, now maybe the action part isn't isn't relatable to you. How about this? Do you often speak before you think? Do you often say things before you give a moment? That was Peter. Peter would often do things even before he'd think about them. And then after the fact, you know, this is the man that God chose to use. This is a great personality. This is a great personality to have tempered by the Holy Spirit, to be a woman of action, to be a man of action. I mean, this personality allowed Peter to be involved in some really amazing things. The next time you're playing a Bible trivia game and the question comes up, who walked on water? You must answer that question, Jesus and Peter. Why? Because he answered the call. He answered, yes, Jesus bids you to come. He's the one that jumps out. No one else does. Sure, he might be reminded of sinking, but don't think of sinking before you consider the walking. You've not walked on water. I've not walked on water, but Jesus and Peter did, and Peter did in response to that invitation. I think it was part of his personality. But there are other times, this is the same Peter that takes a sword out and cuts an ear off. Walking on water, swinging a sword. That's often what life is. Peter, he did become this fisher of men because God can change any of us. And be careful when you look at Peter's life or anyone else for that matter. Be careful what you emphasize. 
remembering people by their failures instead of remembering them by their successes, God's success in them. Of course, we, we can't look at Peter's life without remembering his mistakes, but please, church, remember his successes. <laughs> remember your successes, what God has done in your life. Even today, sitting here, it's like, man, Ed, you don't understand, this week was such a failure. Yeah, but the Lord is with you. Though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. You'll get up, move forward, take the grace of God, hold on to it, and run with the vision that God, walk in humility, respond in repentance, and let the Lord use you. And so Peter becomes many times a mirror image of us, even though God is changing us and maturing us and growing us. So here he is in verse 15. He stands up in a time of waiting with his natural leadership. He's there, and he begins to quote the scriptures Notice in verse 17, it says, For he was numbered with us, speaking of Judas, and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those who dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called, in their own language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. So here Jesus is leading. He is given the word to wait. He is left, and Peter stands and quotes these obscure passages. Psalm 41, or excuse me, Psalm 69, and Psalm 109. And you're like, where did you find those verses, Peter? Don't think of Peter like when you're reading the Bible, we automatically associate it with what we're familiar with. So you kind of think, well, you know, Peter might be in a room, 120 people. He whips out a Bible, opens up to Psalm 69, and starts reading it to them. And then he turns over to Psalm 10. That's not what happened. This came all from memory. It was very expensive to own scrolls. Basically, the synagogues and extremely rich people had scrolls. The rest of us would memorize. We would take the word of God, and we would hide it in our hearts. The Pharisees were known to memorize the entire Old Testament, all of it from beginning to end. That was their commitment to the word of God. So how is it that Peter was able in this moment to draw upon these obscure Psalms, I believe, because he put them in his heart? This is the lost art among us as a church. I mean, you have to really look at it and you go, when's the last time you memorized one little scripture, a new one? You're just taking the word of God and depositing it into your heart. It is such a necessary part of your spiritual life. It will help you immensely wherever you are to continue to collect God's word in your heart. Even some of you, you have a type of memory where you can memorize chapters if you wanted to. And so I say, go for it. Take chapters and digest them and meditate on them and think about them until they become yours. But until you can do chapters, do verses and read them, memorize them, write them on a little three by five card. There are memory apps that you can download. There are apps that will remind you to memorize scripture right on your phone and it will remind you day by day by day. You know, many times I'll receive a question, email, phone, Somebody might call the radio station and go, Ed, I, I want to be used greatly of God. How can I be more usable? H how can I be used greatly by God? 
There's a, lot, there's a lot of different ways to answer that question, but the very baseline answer to that question is if you want to be used greatly of the Lord, you must be a man or woman of God's word. There's just no other way. If you don't have the word, you don't know the word, you don't use the word, that will affect your usefulness. If you don't know the Bible, then when you give advice, you just can give your own opinion. If you don't know the Bible, you haven't deposited word, you haven't put scriptures in your heart, then the Holy Spirit has nothing to draw out of you in the moment. It has nothing to give you to the person in front of you or for the situation that you're in. And you know what will happen? You'll do exactly what we were taught not to do. You will lean on your own understanding. You will not trust in the Lord. You, you might even throw, throw up a little prayer, but you don't, you don't, you're not in the Word. So you know this year and probably next year and probably until the Lord comes back, you're just going to hear me repeat over and over and over again. Read your Bible and pray every day, church. Read your Bible and pray every day. Of all that you do, I mean, you give 40, 50, 60 hours a week to work. You give another 30 or hours to TV. You know, you're on social media. Check your use time. You find out just how much you're on social media, on your phone. And, and all of that, regardless of all that, like, like you're going to live your life no matter what. So just understand that. You'll live your life. You'll distribute your time. But don't neglect the word. Don't neglect the word. I, I even felt like this is so heavy. Like you're just going to have to receive this be mad at me, email me. Actually, if you have a complaint, Josiah's email, since he was leading worship today. Like, like you could just, just receive it. There is no excuse for you not to be a man or a woman of the word. There's no excuse. It doesn't matter what response you have. Well, but Ed, I can't even read. No excuse. Because on your phone, you can download a free app that will read the Bible to you. It will read the Bible to you. Like, I don't mean a man or a woman of the word that digests sermons all the time, although sermons are great. God uses teachers to teach us, for sure. I mean the word of God. How, how do you stand up and go, man, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Well, how do you know something's in the Bible? You read it. You receive it. You digest it. There's just no reason for us as a Bible-teaching church, a, a church that truly believes in the absolute authority of God's word, the full inspiration of God's word that we walk out and we don't even read it. We don't even take it in. We don't even think about it during the week. You've got to be in the Bible. You want to be used? Get into the word. So here's Peter quoting these two verses and the Bible couldn't be clearer. Judas needs to be replaced. That's really what he's saying. Judas needs to be replaced. His habitation is going to be desolate. Let no one live in it, verse 20, and then let another take his office. And this is where I want to draw an application from this text that is debatable. There are commentators and scholars and pastors that disagree over this text. And basically the two main views are, this is all from the Lord, the Holy Spirit's leading Peter, choosing another uh, apostle, and then just move on into chapter two. The other view is, the view I hold, is that Peter's getting ahead of the Lord here. And that this choice and this whole process was not led of the Lord at all. And yet God reserved it for us so that we could see it and examine it. So whatever side you fall in, it's within the pale of orthodoxy. It doesn't really matter. We don't need to argue about it. But I want you to consider that Peter has the right interpretation of the text. He is 100% accurate 
in saying that Judas needs to be replaced. What I believe the mistake is made is that he has the wrong application. This happens to us all the time, where we, have, we understand what the text is, but then we misuse it in our lives. Even though there is a lot of debate on this, I'm not interested in getting caught up in it. Uh, it's okay if you have an alternative view. I even, before I, before I finished up everything, I pulled out one of my favorite commentators, Warren Wiersbe, and in his, in his commentary on this text, he takes the complete opposite view of this. And that's fine. I understand some of his points, but I don't necessarily agree with them, as you'll see in a moment. So here I think Peter gets ahead of the Lord, because this is where we are in the book of Acts. They have been given one command. They've been told to what? Church, what? This is a pop quiz. The command they were given was wait. That's what they were told to do. They weren't told to choose another apostle. They weren't told to head off to Judea, Samaria, and come back some other day. They were told to wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father, which they weren't even quite sure what that was going to be. But remember, they would know it when it happened. They were told to wait. That's all they needed to do, just wait. But instead, Peter, he gets up and he quotes some scripture and he has the interpretation correctly. But now instead of waiting, he's acting. And there's this time period where God said, wait. And so they come together, they're worshiping together, they're praying together. Peter begins to share the scriptures together. And then notice in verse 21, here's his conclusion. When he shares the scriptures, he says, therefore... Of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So Peter views a group of people. This is more than just two. He sees of all these men, there's 120 people there. Let's just say half of them are men. And then minus the other 10 that are apostles. So there's a group of men there, more than two. He says that beginning with the baptism, verse 22 of John, to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection, and they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And then... It says they cast lots. They cast lots. Casting lots is, I guess, the best way to describe it in our modern day. It's like they threw the dice. And they, you know, if we roll an even number, it's this guy. If we roll an odd number, it's this guy. Now, it wasn't a gambling thing with dice for the casting lots. This was an old covenant way of discerning the will of God. This was an old covenant way. The priest, the high priest, would have in his breastplate a little pocket behind it. And behind the pocket there is the Urim and the Thummim. You might read of that in the Old Testament. There's a lot of debate of what that is, but many people conclude that the Urim and the Thummim were, were simply a black stone and a white stone. And you, they would discern and seek the will of God by coming to the high priest and asking the question in a yes or no fashion. And then the high priest would pray, he would take out the stone, and he would say, okay, white, the answer is yes, black, the answer is no, and that's the will of God. And that's what they did here. They prayed, and then they cast lots, and then the lot fell on Matthias, 
and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And this is what happened. This is what's recorded. This is how it went down, exactly how it went down. And this is where I believe they, we begin to see man's plan come together. They began in the word, and they even went into prayer, but then they finished with a man's decision. You know, we're told in the scriptures to be very careful not to begin in the spirit and then be perfected by the flesh, where we start well, but we don't end well. And here we have a new covenant decision. That's the first thing I want you to notice. They are no longer in the old covenant. This is the new covenant time, the new relationship with God that now they have by his death, resurrection, his shed blood, his ascension into heaven. They're in the new covenant now. In the new covenant, the Urim and the Thummim, or even the high priest, no longer applies. Why? Because we have a greater high priest, we learn in Hebrews. Jesus has come. And here they are moving forward using old ways. They don't go to the temple. They don't go to another high priest. They're here just 120 people. And they go, man, we got to find a replacement for Judas. Let's do what we always do. Let's do what we've always done, except that they now are doing it themselves. Not only that, but I want you to notice their new covenant, using an old covenant methodology, but also of all the people, they propose just two. They give God two choices. Here's your choices, God. These are the ones you need to choose from. You know, <laughs> I wonder how often you've done that. God, this is how I'd like it to go down. You can do it this way or this way. Here you go. Lord, please, please, I pray that you would make a decision and you are limited to these two choices. And how often God wants to work outside of our expectations. That there is a way of God that we know not many times. And we come to him, instead of being open-handed, we kind of come closed-fisted and say, God, this is the only way you can work. And they limit him to two choices. Choices that would fit the criteria for sure. Joseph, Barsabbas, or Matthias. You choose one, Lord. And with their choices, they pray, they cast lots, and Matthias won. You never really hear another word about this man anywhere in Scripture, anything that he ever did. It is an argument from silence, I understand that, but an argument nonetheless. The book of Acts and the rest of the entirety of the Bible is silent on anything he ever did. He is numbered with the 11, but I suggest to you that there is another option out there that is he is currently alive at the time of this, that when they're making this decision and when they have the right interpretation, I suggest to you there is another man out there that never in a million years would they have considered to take the place of Judas. Never. Why? Well, at the present time in Acts chapter 1, he is not a believer in Jesus Christ. He's an unbeliever. Not only that, he is so furious and angry at the church, it's fuming up inside of him that just in a few chapters, he's going to go on a personal crusade to destroy the church. That when his name comes up, all you're going to pray is kind of like what we prayed with David. Protect us, protect us, protect us. Deal with him. I don't know how many people were praying for this man. Oh, you know him as Paul the Apostle. That's his Greek name. Here he's still Saul, still known as Saul. He's going to be wreaking havoc in the church. 
But you know, later on in 1 Corinthians, I think it's in chapter 15, Paul declares himself an apostle born out of due time. It wasn't what you expected. God choosing the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. While we don't ever hear again of God ever using Matthias, I'm sure he did, no doubt. We do hear a lot about this man named Saul, known as Paul, who ends up not only planting churches and moving forward, but even writing a large section of the New Testament. So here they are bringing God two choices, but the third, if there was a third choice, he's not even saved yet. I believe that's very encouraging to us because God wants you to know that he has a solution for you outside of what you can think that he is bigger than your limitations, that he has answers to prayers that you can't figure out. And isn't that a difficulty for us? You can use this phrase. It can be a real quick check in your spirit when you find yourself feeling this, saying this, acting like this, where you're up on a problem and your first response is, we need to figure this out. Well, maybe you do. You probably don't. And when we come up on a difficulty, it's not, we need to figure this out. It's like, we need to pray. I need the wisdom of God on this. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't want to figure it out, so I finally come. Okay, I've sorted it all out, God. I have all these options, but I've settled on these two. Well, if there's a third you don't know about, what if there's a fourth or a fifth? God has a solution. He has an answer for you that requires us to come to him open-handed. You can have the right interpretation of a text and still misapply it. You can take a principle from God's word, but instead of waiting for God to work it out, you jump in. It's like Abraham. God gives the promise, and what does Abraham say? No, 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 take my Ishmael. And God says, no. No, that's wrong, Abraham. That's, I, I don't want that. I, I don't want to receive that because I have a promise for you. Turn over to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Because here we have an episode in the nation of Israel where God has a solution that Moses doesn't know about. The people here are complaining at this time in Numbers chapter 11. They're complaining about the manna. Remember on the, the wilderness wandering God as they're leaving uh, Egypt and they're wandering, God provides for them. Their clothing never wears out. Their sandals never wear out. And he provides the right food for them. Even though it's the same food every day, they were to collect this manna, this supernatural food that had all the nourishing qualities that everyone needed. And they would get it every day. And they could collect it for six days. On the sixth day, they collect double. So on the Sabbath, they could enjoy their manna. But you know repetition can easily create in us an unappreciation, and they're upset. We're tired of the manna. They're like, we're tired of God's provision. We, we want something else. And so they come to Moses and complain to him, and then Moses goes to the Lord and goes, I can't believe it. Listen to these people. They, they don't, they're not happening anymore. And he says, notice in verse, let's pick up there in verse 21. Numbers 11, it says, Moses said, the people whom I'm among are 600,000 men on foot, yet you have said, I will give them meat. So in response to the complaint, God says, I'm going to, I'll take care of it, Moses, I'll take care of it. Moses' response was, 
how in the world can you do that? He starts doing the math. He starts counting up the people. He starts thinking that that's humanly impossible, God. How can you do that? And then he, he, he gives them options, right? In verse 22, he says, shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them? So, you know, flocks, herds, different animals. If we killed everything that we had, it wouldn't feed these people for a month, God. And then he says in verse 23, if you don't have this marked already, you need to in your Bible. Highlight it, undermine it, underline it for your life. It says, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Do you really think I can't do what I said I'm going to do? When I tell him, I went, Moses, when I tell him I'm going to take care of it, I'm going to take care of it. Do you, do you now somehow think my arm is short, that I can't fulfill what I said I would fulfill? And then notice what he does down in verse 31. There's an option that Moses doesn't know about. It's so far from him, he doesn't see it. It says in verse 31, how now a wind went out from the Lord and it brought quail. Did Moses ever mention quail, yes or no? No, he doesn't. He doesn't know anything about quail. He can't even see quail. They're all the way by the sea. And God rearranges the wind patterns so that they start flying over toward the children of Israel. And he left them, it says, fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side, a day's journey on that side, all around the camp. They were two cubits above the surface of the ground. The people stayed up all that day and night. Next day, they gathered the quail, spread them out for themselves all around the camp. So in their complaining, God provides an option Moses knows nothing about. But it says in verse 33, while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused before the people and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. See, their complaining showed that they were not satisfied with God. And Moses wants to feed them, God wants to feed them, but God wants them to understand his provision is best for them. So in this case, he has a solution Moses doesn't know anything about because he's going to use their complaining and their concerns to teach them a lesson. This is one of those places where I'm grateful for the grace of God, that even if I get my even if I get my prayer wrong, the Bible says Jesus steps in and intercedes for us and rearranges our prayers for us when necessary. And even as we find ourselves praying, when we pray in Jesus' name, what we're saying is, God, I am happy with your answer. When we pray as we were instructed, remember we were instructed to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And it puts us in the position of receiving from the Lord his desire. We don't want to limit God. We don't want to limit God in any way. We don't want to limit God to just two choices. It's almost like God is saying like he does to Moses, or to Moses here, don't limit me. I have an answer, Moses. I said I'll provide it. Trust me. I'll take care of it. Because you just never know what God is going to do. You just don't know how he's going to answer the prayer to your life. So Peter, back in Acts chapter 1, he leads this group to congregationally choose a replacement for Judas by the casting of these lots, even though this is not the new covenant method of choosing. For homework, we're not going to go into depth, but eventually we'll be there in a couple years when we get to Acts chapter 13. We'll be there eventually. I want you to notice, read carefully the beginning of Acts 13, because when Paul and Barnabas were chosen by God to be the first world missionaries, it didn't happen like this. 
It happened very supernaturally through the manifestation of giftings of the people that were in the group. They didn't cast lots. They, they didn't say, okay, here are your choices. The, they were all gathered together. They were ministering unto the Lord. Boom, the Lord spoke, and he led by his spirit. You'll see in a moment in in our next Bible study together, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon Peter and he becomes a different man. A a man fully dependent upon the Lord. It's a very dangerous thing as we wind down today for us to seek to do the work of the Holy Spirit in our own strength, in our own wisdom. I'll figure it out. I'll take care of it. I'll make sure that we instead of waiting upon the Lord. This has been a problem from the first century. It's a problem with us today. It's probably worse now than ever before because there's no more ways today to lean on our own understanding. There's more technology, more opportunities. I mean, the the church, especially the Western church, is riddled with programs. It's riddled with processes. It's riddled with organ. So many churches today have organized the Holy Spirit completely out of the church. And many in the church, you, you, you get a little impatient waiting on the Holy Spirit. You get a little frustrated where you might have a great concern. You might have, and so you do what, what is natural. You come to a pastor, you come to an elder, and you go, fix my marriage. What's the problem with my marriage? And then when a pastor says, I don't know. I have no idea how to fix your marriage. You walk away saying, man, what kind of guy is that? I can't follow a guy that doesn't know how to fix my marriage. I don't know how to fix my marriage. He doesn't know how to fix my marriage. Right. You want to follow a man, you want to follow a woman that's going to get your eyes on the Lord. Because only God can fix your marriage. By fixing you. (laughs) By working on the inside of you. No, 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 Ed, the marriage, is. I'm fine. It's my wife that's the problem. I'm fine, my husband's the problem. No, 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 no. No, I don't know. I just gave that answer very, very recently. As the whole situation was laid out, what am I supposed to do, Ed? I have no idea. Why? Because we have to seek the Lord. That's the best thing. You need to seek the Lord in intercession, waiting on him for the answer. Together, we will discover what God has to say about that. We will discover what his will is for you. We will hear and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of God leads us in making serious decisions. Just being open and being obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Just recently this week, I had the opportunity in two different occasions uh, to participate in ministry very far away. On Tuesday night, late into Tuesday night, I had the privilege of dialing in to a men's group at a church that I recently taught at in Hawaii, and they had used one of the books here as a discipleship, and on the last night of using the book, I got to call in and answer questions and talk and pray with them, and it was great, you know, calling in super late here, and it was about six o'clock there. It was a great opportunity. Then Wednesday night, after service, after our baptism and everything, which the baptism was amazing, we had at least 60 people get baptized on Wednesday night. It was amazing. No rain, no lightning. It was great. It was wonderful, beautiful time. After that, I went back into my office, and at about 9.30 at night, I dialed in Zoom to teach a pastor's conference in India. Unbelievable, live. 
life. So they put me up on the screen, and I'm there looking into the computer, teaching through an interpreter, uh, being a part of their worship time, being a part of their, their Q&A from the previous teacher, and then I taught. And I was given an assignment in Acts chapter 23, uh, which is, you know, kind of a simple chapter. Paul's arrested, heading toward Rome, and it's a simple chapter. And so as, as I'm teaching that, in the middle of it, you know, and it's a different type of teaching, right, because I have to speak in very short sentences, wait for the interpretation, very short sentences, and I don't have the advantage that I have right now. Many, many times, I, don't, I, I wish I did it every time because sometimes I forget, but hopefully the Lord just knows my heart. But many, many times I will pray that the Holy Spirit will make me sensitive to the people in front of me in the moment. And that's why I scan the whole room all the time, front to back, looking you guys in the eye, trying to get a sense of what the Holy Spirit's doing in the room as I'm teaching. By Zoom, very difficult especially the way the camera was and the language barriers. But the Spirit of God, he bridges that gap, right? So he's bridging that gap. And about in the middle of this study, I just felt impressed of God to stop and take us in a different direction just for a moment. I really felt like we were talking about God using us and we were talking about God being with us and talking about God strengthening us. And and then I just like, you know, I feel like this is a word from God for, for someone in the group. I really think, and I was sharing with them in Philippians chapter four, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I began to give a little bit of a development on that. And then I got back into my notes. And then before we ended uh, on that call, I said, look, I know God gave us a word. So whoever that word was for, I want you to tell me, Uh, email me, text me, go through your pastor. And so I woke up yesterday morning to this text, this text from Tennessee, from my friend who the pastor in India connected, and this is the guy that invited me to be a part of it. This was the text I woke up to from the pastor in India. Quote, Ed Taylor was asking for testimony that for the word in Philippians 4.13 that he got as a prophetic word for the pastors. It was for Pastor V. He was going through a very tough time and he was encouraged by that word. God is good all the time, end quote. The reason I share that with you is, is the Spirit of God is always ready to speak, to lead, to help. If we will just be ready to receive, we won't come to just two options and say, okay, you know, in a way that that could have been on Zoom could have been something like this. Okay, I've got these two verses. I'm just going to kind of lay them out there. And if it's one of them's for you, then go ahead and choose that one. No, God gave me a specific word and a specific scripture. And I needed to step out in faith and go, I don't know you guys, but I love you. I don't even understand your language, but we've got a friend. But here's what the Bible says. I'm going to read it in English. The guy read it in the local dialect and boom, thousands of miles over some kind of an internet line, the Holy Spirit spoke to Pastor V and gave him encouragement in that little moment of time. You can trust the Spirit of God with your life. Let me just say this, with every aspect of your life. You don't need to figure it out. You don't need to take things into your own hands. You don't even need a pastor or a leader to help you. You can pray and wait on the Lord. Will God send people into your life? Of course. Will we be together as the community of Christ? Yes. But you, indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit, can be used of God. Whether Peter is impetuous here, 
whether he has the wrong application or not, whatever side you look at, the application is still clear. You can trust the Lord. Read in Acts 13. See how God is ready to speak. See how God is ready to minister to you. See how when they're singing, when they're praying, when the word of God is going forth, God is speaking all the time. It's just like what Jesus said seven times in the book of Revelation. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And we need to have ears receptive and ready to receive all that God has for us. And as you read through the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see God is going to use Paul in a miraculous way. God's going to reach that guy Saul of Tarsus. And I believe that he is indeed that apostle that was born out of due time, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.